Good morning, everyone. Let's open our Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. I know our text verse is um, Romans 8.28, our verse for the month. I thought we'd veer off a little bit here. Next week, I'm going to preach a message called, It's Going to Be Okay. That's a good one, huh? So if you want to be encouraged, come next week. If you want to be discouraged, stick around, all right? <laughs> it's going to be okay next week. First <laughs> John, chapter 3. I feel like this is really loud. First John, chapter 3. What would you change? Let's read verses 1 through 3. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you just help me this morning to preach the truth and uh, that the people's hearts would be open. Lord, please, Holy Spirit, teach us from your word. If you don't show up, nothing will happen. But we know that you're here because you live in our hearts, Lord. So I pray this morning, teach us, help us to grasp this truth that maybe there's some things in our life we need to change. So we love you, Lord, this morning. Please help us as we, as we listen to the word of God being preached. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's, it's pretty easy to forget just how amazing it is to be saved. We forget just what God has done in our life. That we're called the children of God. We're the sons and daughters of God. And uh, someone said, God doesn't have any grandchildren. We're all children of God. If you're saved here today. And uh, we're secure. We're safe. We've not only been saved, but we're safe. No one can pluck us out of the hand of God. There we are, not only in Jesus' hands, but in the Father's hands. We're safe and secure. You cannot be unsaved once you're saved. Eternally safe. Heaven bound. Born again. I'm alive. And so are you. If you're saved here today, you're alive in a way that you never were alive before. Because your spirit is alive now. But those that do not know Christ are still dead in their trespasses and sins. Isn't it good to just know that you're saved? You know, we're going to take some time and just look at some truths, wonderful truths in this verse. But then I have a challenge for you. That knowing these great truths, how do they change your life right now? What impact are they having on your life right now? You know... It says, Behold. See in the verse there? Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. To behold is to look on something. To take notice of something. It's something that's displayed before you. Behold. Look on this. Notice what kind of love God loves us with. It's an amazing love. God's love is something to... to, to step back and, and see how remarkable it is. How impressive it is what God has done. Look, if we were in church right now, we are in church, but if we were, uh, someone was up here getting married and the groom is waiting up here at the altar 
And everyone's sitting there waiting for who? The bride. And when the bride comes in and the march starts, everyone turns around and, oh, how beautiful she is. Behold the bride. That's what I want you to get. Behold what manner of love the Father has loved us with. Take a good look. Step back and see just what God has done for us. Because it is out of this world. It's like a bride entering to, to go up to the altar to her, uh, to her husband. Behold, see to what degree God loves you and me. See the extent to which He went. The cross. He went all the way for us. I was thinking of uh, Eric and the teens sang this song. You can turn to it if you want. But it's, it's 118. It's called, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. When I look on what God has done for me. This man had it right. Isaac Watts wrote, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. He wasn't just a regular man. He was the Prince of Glory who died there for us. My richest gain I count but loss and poor content upon all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to His blood. Look at verse 3. See from His head, His hands, His feet, sorrow and love mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet on thorns composed so rich a crown. And then verse 4 says this. Were the whole realm of nature mine that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine demands my soul, my life, my all. Just knowing how much He loves us. What does that change in your life? Knowing that this is the worst you're ever going to have it. It only gets better from here on out. Because of what He's done. To the extent which He went. Step back and gaze with your mind's eye at the cross. Just look at it. Look at Him hanging there. Look what He did for you. That's how much He loves you. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. Oh, you have to just look in your mind's eye. Let the Holy Spirit put that picture. Not, a, not, not Hollywood, not any films, not pictures you see on the wall. Let your mind's eye, let the Holy Spirit bring what happened to Calvary that day. That's the extent that He went to. Behold, examine how God commended His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The depth of His love. That's the verse that just gripped my heart as an unbeliever. Lost, like we sang this morning, though vile is He. I knew I was vile. I knew I was a dirty, rotten sinner. And then I heard that somebody loved me. Even when I was yet a sinner. And that changed. That changed. That turned my heart and I repented. And I asked Jesus Christ to save me. Behold, examine how God commended His love to Toward us and that why we were yet wonderful, good people. Why we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the love. Behold, observe how Jesus Christ willingly gave His life for us on the cross of Calvary. Turn back to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Same man wrote both books. So let's go to John chapter 10. John chapter 10 and verse 14. 
John chapter 10 and verse 14. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice. And there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down on myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. What a Savior. What a wonderful God. That He willingly gave His life. He stopped His heart. He said, I'm giving up the ghost. Now's the time to die for the sins of mankind. What a Savior. What a good shepherd. And God loves the Son. And so should we. Because of what He's done for us. Turn back to Isaiah chapter 50. Do you realize how willing He was? Not only is He able to save you, He was so willing Isaiah chapter 50. Isaiah 50 and verse 6. Speaking of the Lord, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. My... I gave my back to the smiters. When the, when he was being scourged, he didn't turn away and try to stop the pain. He gave his back to the smiters. Here it is. He knew it was coming. He wrestled with that in the garden and he said, this cup shall I not drink it? He knew what was coming. But he gave his back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. Darren would know how much it can hurt to pluck off his facial hair. Just start pulling out wads of hair from his face. But he didn't pull back. He didn't turn his head. He gave his cheeks to this, as they plucked off his hair. He was so willing to do all this for you and me. And anybody that's ever been spit in the face, someone spit at them in the face, would not take it, would you? That would upset you very much if someone spit in your face. But he just took it. And he loved them. And He forgave them. I'm just trying to get you to see who Jesus Christ is and what He's done for us. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. Behold, the love that was bestowed to us. That means graciously given. It says in 1 John 3, 1-3, it talks about bestowed upon us. That means it was graciously given. And now it's been applied to our lives. Everyone that has received Christ as their Savior. You know... What it means when God says He loves you. You understand that. It's amazing. It was absolutely free. It cost us nothing but our pride. And say, I need a Savior. It cost us nothing, but it cost Him everything. No strings attached. No fine print. Just, if you received Him, you're saved. He did it all. Bestowed means something given or presented. John 3.17 says, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. 
He gave us eternal life. He bestowed upon us eternal life. And that means He had to go to the cross. And then He afforded us salvation through the cross. And adoption. God wanted us. And He adopted us into His family. Beloved is another B in the verses. Behold, bestowed, and now beloved, we are precious in His sight. We're cherished by Christ and loved of God. The way a a mom and dad love their children, oh, He loves you so much more. You're a child of God. That we should be called the sons of God. In fact, in the verse it says, now we are the sons of God in 1 John chapter 3. John 1.12 says, but to as many as received Him, to them gave you the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. What a privilege to be in God's family. Turn to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. That we should be called the sons of God. Galatians chapter 3. Look at some of these verses. Galatians 3.26, Paul writing to the church at Galatia, he's talking to Christians, born again Christians, and he says, Galatians 3.26, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Sons of God, children of God. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Just turn to one or two pages. Ephesians chapter 1. And in verse 5, Ephesians 1.5, having predestinated us under the adoption of children by, Christ, by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will. Predestinated. Predetermined. God said, if they receive My Son as their Savior, that means they're coming in, they're being adopted into the family of God. It has nothing to do with Calvin's predetermination. It has everything to do. It was predetermined. When you got saved, you became a child of God. You were adopted into the family of God. God wanted you. And God wants those here today that aren't saved. He wants you. You're not a throwaway. You're not an oops. It was a mistake. God sought you. That's what the Bible says in Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He wants you. You're here today and you're wondering, what's going to happen to me when, when I die? Well, God wants to help you understand that you can be saved and go to heaven when you die. Because He wants you. Turn to John, back to John chapter 10, verse 16. It's a unique and growing family. John chapter 10, verse 16. John 10, 16 says, And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. And they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. It's a growing family. Not only did the, did the gospel go to the Jew first, and Jesus said, I have this fold, but he said, I have another fold. The gospel is going out to the Gentiles, and they shall both be one fold in the church. So the gospel is still reaching. He's still looking. He's still reaching out, trying to bring people in to the fold. And the family continues to grow and to grow. And I wish it grew faster, don't you? I wish some more people would get saved. I wish I had the opportunity to lead more people to Jesus Christ. But the family is still growing. 
And it is unique. Look at chapter 17. John chapter 17. Look at verse 17. John 17, 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so I have also sent them into the world. Jesus speaking here. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. What a unique people we are. The Bible says we're peculiar, and that's for sure. Many of us are very peculiar and strained. But, but we are unique. We're one of a kind. And it's this book, this book that sanctifies us. This book sanctifies us, sets us apart from the world. If you're not reading your Bible, it'll be easy to slide back into the world. But you hold this book up every morning and you live this book and be a doer of the Word of God, it sanctifies you. It sets you apart as a child of God. Someone that God can use as a vessel and pour His Holy Spirit into. But it also binds us together. It keeps us close around the doctrines and the truth. Sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy Word is truth. We don't get together with people who don't believe the Bible. You can call yourself a Christian, but this is the anchor for our soul. This is what binds us together and also separates us from the world. This book. So this is what is the anchor for our soul. It's a unique family, isn't it? It's a unique and growing family. John 17, look at verse 22. Verse 22, it says this, And the glory which thou gavest me, look at this, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Jesus has put his glory upon us. Remember, what glory we have is his glory. It's his honor. It's his excellence. It's his brightness. He's put that on us as his children. And our lives should stand out and shine like a light in a dark world. People should see Jesus Christ in us. If I be lifted up, Jesus said, I will draw all men unto me. It's His glory, His brightness, His excellence, His honor that shines through us, that draws people, not us. It's Him. And He's put that upon us. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. The future it's going to be amazing. What do we have to look forward to? Turn to Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. Romans 8, 18. Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. Look what Paul says. He said, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. 
So I don't know what, what you're going through. And frankly, you don't know everything I'm going through. But I know this. Whatever we're going through now, someday it's all going to be gone. And, and we're going to see the glory of God. We're going to be there with Him. It will be revealed in us. And the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with what's ahead. So let's just get through it, hanging on to, holding on to Jesus Christ, and see, just have a glimpse. We may have a glimpse through Scripture. It is so extraordinary, we will have to wait and see just how wonderful heaven's going to be. But we know this, we shall be like Him. Verse 29, Romans 8, look at verse 29. We're going to be like Him. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate. There's that word again. What did God predestinate in us? To be conformed to the image of His Son. That He, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brethren. That's what God wants for you right now. He's trying to stamp His image on your life. He's trying to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ, His Son. That process is going on right now. Someday it will be complete. And you'll be like Him. Now, now the message. Back in, in 1 John chapter 3, it says, when He shall appear. In fact, let's look at it because sometimes we read the passage and we forget the little few words there. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. In verse 2, Beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Do you see that? We, It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear. Four little words. We, When He shall appear. That truth should snap us back into reality. We've been talking about how much He loves us. But another wonderful truth is He's coming again. The honeymoon is over. You know, I've been telling you how much He loves you. And He does. But we are still supposed to be serving Him. Because He is still Lord. He is our King. He is our Master. Even though He has this unbelievable and immeasurable love for us, He is still Lord. Right now, and He's coming back. And there may be some changes that you have to make to your life right now because He could come back today. And there will be a reckoning. He shall appear. When He shall appear, it's coming. What are you doing about it? I know He loves me. So I ought to pay attention to the fact that He's coming back. That should snap me back. In the reality, yes, He loves me. But there's a, a, a day of reckoning. Does this truth change the way that you live your life? Let me put it to you this way. Jesus Christ is coming back tomorrow at 4 o'clock. What are you laughing about? Yeah. I woke up at 4 a.m. this morning, went out to the kitchen, and I opened the refrigerator, and on the milk carton, it said 22nd 8, 2016. The expiration date. And I said, that's it. That's when he's coming back. So I just changed the 4 a.m. to 4 p.m., and there you go. I'm a date setter. 
He's coming back tomorrow at 4 o'clock. Isn't that silly? You know what? He could come back right now. 4 o'clock is a long way off tomorrow. He could come back right now. Forget all the date setters. Forget that. What would you change in your life if you knew that He was coming back tomorrow at 4 o'clock? I bet you would have do something different. I bet you there's some things you would do that you never did before. He's coming back. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, you'll stand before Him. Can I really know? Turn to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. Right in the middle of our text, we get these words, when He shall appear. Matthew 24, verse 36. But of that day and hour knoweth no man. So I really don't know, do I? It's not the date on a carton of milk. Not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came. Took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken, the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one be taken, the other left. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. But I know, but know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready. For in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. Just when you think everything's okay, we're going on holiday, I got a whole week to relax, here comes Jesus in the clouds. You see verse 42? Watch. That's what Kathy does when I'm driving. (laughs) Yeah. I don't admit it all the time. I'm a sinner. I don't admit it, but she's right. So I'm not, didn't you see that? I said, yeah, I saw it. I didn't. I'm a liar. <laughs> watch. That's the word I hear, right? Watch. <laughs> so I watch. We ought to watch. We ought to be watching our lives. Because Jesus could come back right now. Know this. That if you knew when a thief was coming, you'd be ready. You'd be waiting for him. Well, that's the way he's going to come. Like a thief. He's not a thief. He's coming like a thief. You're not going to know. The Father's going to say, it's time. Son, it's time to go. We need to get busy and prepare. We need to be living today like He's coming today. There will be a rapture. He is returning. And like I said, it could be today. It could be as we're preaching. The table's set. Nothing has to happen. There's no prophecy that has to be fulfilled. The table is already set. We're in the last days. Israel's in the land. Keep your eye on Jerusalem. That is the focal point for everything in in history. But nothing has to happen in order for Jesus to come back. It could happen at any moment. 
what would you change? Does that knowledge mean you will live any differently than you're living right now? I don't know how else to say it. Are there some things in your life that you know you should be doing or shouldn't be doing, knowing that Jesus could come back at any moment? Why do we live as if, as if this truth can be ignored? Because it's just, well, I, he's not coming yet. Well, he could. Otherwise, we're not Bible believers. The truth is, he said, it's imminent. It could happen. In, it's at hand. and It could happen at any moment. Why do we live and ignore this truth? Knowing that he's coming back. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Knowing that he's coming back. 1 Corinthians 15 and in verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. There's that word again. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. That means we're not all going to die and go to the grave before Jesus comes back. We could be alive when He comes back. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, not the blink of an eye that you can see in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. It's to the world. It's <laughs> it's a moment, just a moment in time. For us, we'll hear him. We'll see the angel come. We'll hear we'll hear the the blast of the trumpet, and then him calling us up. But to the world, it's all in a moment. You're not going to be able to make any changes. Before while this is going on, it just happens and it's over. Turn to Second Corinthians chapter five. Second Corinthians chapter five. And in verse uh, nine. In fact, read in verse seven, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body than to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of Him, well-pleasing in His sight. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in His body, according to that He hath done, whether it be good or whether it be bad. So there's coming a time when we stand before Jesus Christ. He's the judge. Are we being judged on our sin? No. It's already been judged. But we will be judged on how we live this Christian life. How we serve God. And you won't stand there for me and I won't stand there for you. We're going to stand before Him and maybe we'll receive rewards but maybe we'll receive ashes. Wood, hay, and stubble will all burn up. I don't know. That's between us and our Lord. But I know one thing. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And then verse 11, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God. And I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. There's a right, a right way to live. Because there's an, ex, an inspection time coming. You're going to be inspected and so am I. Knowing that we will see Him. Turn to Revelation chapter 1. 
I hope you've read this, these verses before because it's an amazing picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 1. And in verse 13, John says, And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like undefined brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. What a picture of Jesus Christ. The Ancient of Days. His purity and His wisdom, His judgment, His power, the, the Word of God. That's Jesus Christ. And verse 17 says, And when I saw Him, I fell at His feet as dead. So when we see Him, we're not going to be going back and forth with Him and, and telling Him what we should have done. And maybe, uh, you know, He should have a little leniency in this area of my life. And you're just going to fall down and be judged on what you did. As a Christian, in this body, whether it's good or whether it's bad, you're going to be in His presence and we will be overwhelmed by His glory. We're going to fall down as dead men. And He'll do the judging. So, knowing this, will you tell or urge any of your loved ones to be saved? Will you finally say, maybe I just need to talk to my brother or my sister my aunt, my uncles, I don't know, whoever. I'm going to talk to them. I'm going to come out on Saturday visitation. I'm going to come out and I'm going to get paired up with somebody. And I'm not going to do the talking because I'm a little nervous about that, but I'm going to come. And I'm going to watch the door be shut in the person's face who's, who's preaching the gospel there trying to get a track into that person's hand. And I'm going to get as burdened as they are. When I see people shut the door and you know that they've shut the door on the truth and the one opportunity may be for them to be saved. Don't you want a burden for the lost? Why would you come out? To make pastor happy? Don't bother. It's to make Jesus Christ happy. It's the right thing to do. That's why we come. Pastor's in the States now. Do we stop doing what we're supposed to be doing? Is now the time to give it up? No! Now's the time to take it out there into, into Bell and Collig and Cork, wherever you can, knowing when He shall appear. Pastor will be back. We have the day and the time. But we don't know when Jesus is coming. And He's a little bit more important than any of us. We should be living for Him right now. Ask yourself, are you working or are you loafing? Nobody likes a loafer. How does the eminent return of Christ affect the way you live? What changes would you make to your daily routine? What would it take to wake you up? What has to happen to right that sinking ship? It's been so long since you served the Lord. Jesus is coming back. James. Turn back to James. Back to the left a little bit. Close enough. James chapter 4 and verse 14. James 4.14 
Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. (laughs) The longest, most fruitful life lived for Jesus Christ is still but the mist over the teapot. It's here and it's gone. You could serve Him 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year, and your life is still a... It's just a wisp. It's just a mist. It's here and it's gone. We don't know what's coming. But we know that Jesus is coming back. You know, Helen Keller, she uh, she was blind. She was a mute, deaf. That happened to two years old. She had what they call brain fever, what we might call scarlet fever, something she had, an illness at two years old. And she lost her hearing, her sight, and obviously she couldn't talk. And uh, she said this. She said, touch and smell and hear and see as if you will never see and hear and touch again tomorrow. Why don't we live for Jesus that way? As if we'll never have an opportunity tomorrow. Because when He shall appear, it's over. Don't put off to tomorrow what you can do. Mom always had all the answers. Everything, every one of her things came true. She said, nothing good happens after 12 o'clock at night. (laughs) She's right. Nothing good, she says, happens after 12 o'clock at night. She was right. When I got in trouble, it was always after 12 (laughs) o'clock. Moms are always right. Let me just give you some important areas of your life to consider. You ready? Men, how will you love your love your wife? Are you going to be tender, and caring with her? Are you going to cherish her, and nurture her, and love her, and make her feel safe, and secure, and honor her, and lift her up as the weaker vessel? Because Jesus is coming back, and you won't be able to do it then. Is she highly esteemed in your eyes, or are you hard and bitter towards her? Do you take her for granted? I would, I would make a change if I were you. Ladies, do you love your husband? Will you reverence him as you should? Will you lift him up, build him up? Let me tell you something. There's nothing like when a wife strokes the ego of her husband. <laughs> Tells him what a great guy he is. My knight in shining armor, you know. That's what lifts us up. Men have egos. And they need to be stroked by their wives. Amen? (laughs) Wanted to do that publicly? Now you know. (laughs) It's a plug for you guys. All right. Now, how will you love your children? Now, I want you to think about this. Because Proverbs 23, 26 says, um, says something. I just forgot it. <laughs> it's gone. Look it up there, Dean, while I go on. Um, will you strive to win their hearts? Will you strive to win their hearts? Not, not their outside, not the flesh. Get a hold of their heart. Do you have it? Give me thine heart. 
It's for moms and dads to win their children's heart. So even when they leave, you still have their heart. You haven't put a, just put a set of rules on them. Get those rules down into their heart. Strive to win their hearts. You're going to have to spend time with them. Pray with them and for them. Teach them and admonish them. And guard that soft heart from the things of the world. My son, give me thine heart. I'll bet you there's some dads in here who wish they could win their son's hearts. Hmm. How will you treat others? Remember, I preached a message a while back. Who is my neighbor? Will you ask, who is my neighbor? Or will you say, or will you be a good neighbor to everyone that you come in contact with? Because our neighbors are frankly everywhere. Everywhere we go, there are neighbors. How many people will you share the gospel with? I wonder, does anyone besides the people in the church know that you're a Christian? Let that sink in for a minute. Do people know that you're a Christian? Now, we may know, but does the world know that you're a Christian? Do you share your faith? How differently would you live those last hours before going home? I think they call it a bucket list. Things they want to do before they go. You got terminal cancer. I guarantee every one of you, and me included, would do some things maybe we didn't do before because we knew we didn't have much time. Doctor gives you three months, so you have a bucket list. Well, I sure would like to glide off of the Alps. You know, not me, but (laughs) maybe you do. But you'd have a bucket list. Well, Jesus is coming back. What kind of bucket list do you have? What do you want to accomplish before He comes back? Because once this life is over, there is a judgment. I hope you're ready. Or you might hang your head in shame. Look, for the Christian, we shall see Him as He is. Someday we're going to see Jesus Christ. And the born-again child of God will see Jesus Christ in all of His splendor. I don't think we can comprehend that in this body. Moses, remember, was on the mountain. And he wanted to see God. He wanted to see Him. He wanted to know that His presence would go with Him. And God took him up in the mountain and you remember He was going to pass by and I'm going to proclaim My name before you. But He had to hide Moses in the cliff of the rock. And all Moses could see was his back parts. And that was too much for him. Because of the glory of God, he had to hide him in the cleft of the rock to see his glory. Someday we're going to see him face to face in all of his glory. As we read in Revelation there, the Ancient of Days, the Lamb of God, the Living Word of God. That truth should and hope should prompt us to live holy lives. You're uh, First Peter. You should be right near James. First Peter, chapter one. Look in verse thirteen. Should be right there. First Peter, chapter one, verse thirteen. Wherefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. You're going to have to gird up the loins of your mind. You're going to have to strengthen what you believe. You're going to have to guard your heart. 
guard what goes in to this brain and down into your heart. You're going to need to be disciplined to be holy, to live a holy life. Because the Scripture actually says He purifieth Himself in 1 John chapter 3. It says He purifieth Himself. And frankly, if you were going to meet somebody very important, you'd make sure your teeth were brushed and you took a shower and combed your hair. Well, someday we're going to meet Jesus. And we ought to purify ourselves, not just out here, in here, in our hearts. That's what God sees every day. He sees our hearts. I want to be pure in here. Have you ever just cried out to God, cleanse me, Lord, right now, in your blood, wash me thoroughly inside my heart? I hope you do, because He will. He'll cleanse you and repent and ask forgiveness. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. We're almost through here. 1 John chapter 2. We have an appointment with Jesus Christ. In chapter 3, we read, when he shall appear. Look at verse John chapter 2, verse 28. And now little children abide in him, that when he shall appear, when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him in his coming. Wouldn't you like to be confident? Lord, I'm ready for you to come. And the reason I'm ready for you to come is because I live like it all day long. I'm watching. I'm cognizant of the fact that you could come right now. So I'm not going to do that sin. I'm not going to think that thought. I'm going to serve you today because you might come back today. I want to be ready as best I can for His appearing and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. All must appear. No one is exempt. But then there's the unsaved. Turn to Revelation chapter 20. He is coming back. And when He does, at the rapture, the next seven years is nothing but the tribulation. The tribulation will be ushered in and God will pour out His wrath upon mankind. And those that receive not the truth and rejected Jesus Christ, they will be under the delusion. God will bring a strong delusion and they will not be able to believe in Jesus Christ. They will not believe because they've already rejected the truth. God brings that strong delusion. You reject Him now, you'll reject Him then. And you'll take the mark of the beast. So I'm urging you today, He is coming back. Why not get saved today? Revelation chapter 20. In fact, you can start in verse 10. Because this is who you're going to be spending time with if you're not saved. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne. And him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Oh my. Can you imagine being judged according to your works? And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. This is the second resurrection. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. 
This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Is your name in the book of life? Is your name written down there? Because if it's not, you will spend eternity in the lake of fire with the devil. And all those who reject Christ, if that's what you want, then turn them away again today. But if you don't want to go there, why not start to think about your own soul and how much He loves you and wants to save you? There's no appeals. God's just judging the lost at this judgment. It's a sobering truth. Final judgment. It's final. (laughs) The judge of all the universe says, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity, I never knew you. If you're here without Jesus, you're lost. And the Bible says there's no hope. There's not a little hope. There's no hope. You're living your life right now with no hope. Your judgment will be one of eternal damnation. Payment for your sin. But He's already died for it. He's already paid for it. Why do you want to die in your sins when He's already died for them? You can either let Him pay for them or you can pay for them. But if you pay for them, then for the wages of sin is death. You will die a physical death, but you will be eternally separated from God in the lake of fire. That's just the way it is. It's one or the other. There's no escape. There's no second chance. By the way, there's no purgatory. There's no hope. There's no bargaining. There's no mediation. It's over. Just a final realization that I am now lost forever. So I ask you this. Romans 6.23b says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But the gift of God, if you've ever received a gift, you know how much you care for the person that gives it to you. You think they went to a lot of trouble to get this for me, and I don't have to pay them a cent. They're just giving it to me because they love me. Well, God wants to give you eternal life. I don't think He could make it any easier. He, he did all the hard work. It's all of grace. But there's another wonderful truth. He just loves you. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through Him might be saved. In Romans 5.8 you know it that God commended His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us. You know the world says God loves us. God loves us. He does. But in a sense it's past tense. No, God still loves the world. But if you want to experience the love of God, you have to go to the cross. You're not going to just experience it, you know, eating your uh, eating your breakfast cereal in the morning unless you know that you're saved and you've already been to the cross and you've been saved. The only way for the world to experience the love of God is to go to the cross. You have to go to the cross because that's where He gave His Son. For God so loved the world that He gave His sons. I have to go there to experience this. Behold, what manner of love. God is ready, willing, and able to save you. Isn't that good? Are you ready and willing to let Him save you today? You know you have free will. It's your choice. It's your life. 
That's life. That's the way life is. We played life last night. The, the, the game of life. And Marissa won. She won it all. But you know what? You really win nothing without Jesus. The only win at the game of life is to put your trust in Him who can give you eternal life. There's only one way to heaven. You have free will. You will not hold God accountable for your choice. If you do not choose Him, don't hold God accountable. He's reaching out to you right now. All you have to do is ask Him right now. Let's pray. If every eye closed, every head bowed, please. There's no reason to be looking around. I hope you're doing business with God. And there's people here that need to be saved. I'm sure that in a crowd this size, I'm just wondering if you're here this morning and you say, I really don't know if I'm saved. I don't know what will happen when I die. I don't quite understand it all. But I'm willing to say with an upraised hand, I don't know that I'm saved. But I would like to know more. I would like to know how to be saved. Is there anyone that would just raise their hand very quickly? No one's looking around. I'm the only one looking. And with an upraised hand would say, I would like to know how to be saved. Christian, Jesus is coming back. And we need to be ready. We need to be prepared. Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would just bless this invitation. Lord, that uh, the only one that can reach a person's heart is you. Our hearts could be a closed door to people around us, but not to you. You could peel it back like an onion. You see everything. So I pray that Christians are doing business with you right now, saying, I know you love me, Lord, but there's some things I need to do to prepare for your coming. And Lord, if there's someone here that's lost, oh God, why wait? Find somebody to talk to. Ask them how to be saved. It's so simple. You've done it all for us. Lord, we just lift all this up up to you and all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's stand and take your hymnals.